Hello, and welcome to the Divine Renovation Podcast, where we seek to inspire and equip you to bring your parish from maintenance to mission. My name's Dan Rourke, and I'm in studio today with Rob McDowell, coach of Divine Renovation Things. Hello, Dan. How you doing, buddy? Doing well. And you know what? We brought in your successor, the person who took your place at St. Benedict Parish, who was able to fill your <laughs> shoes and accomplish all that you were doing, and perhaps even more. Definitely more. Uh, Kate Definitely Robinson. more. How you doing, Kate? Hi, I was doing pretty well before that introduction. Now I'm, now I'm feeling the stress. Now, now you're feeling the stress? Yeah. So, Kate, welcome to the podcast. It's Thanks. been a while since we've actually had you on the podcast. Yeah. And in the last time you were here, you actually held a different job title at St. B's. It's true. Yeah. yeah. So your old job title was? Director of Communications. And your new job title is? Kind of undecided, but currently. Kind of undecided. <laughs> <laughs> Mission support team leader is what we're leaning towards right now. We've, yeah, you know, moved things around and. Uh, have some new teams in formation. And so, uh, yeah, mission support. Excellent. So when we stole Rob uh, from St. Benedict to be a full-time divine renovation coach, uh, we left a small hole in, in the team over there. Yeah. And just, uh, yeah. and so, so you know, it, it, I'm so grateful that you've been able to, to step up, take on some of the things he was doing. Yeah. But I do know that things have transformed. And so there's a few mm-hmm. things I was hoping we could talk about. Sure. Uh, the first is I'd really like to understand how how does a uh, how does that transition happen inside of a parish of a role, whether it's staff or whether mm. it's um, a volunteer role? I mean, that's you guys mm-hmm. transitioned to role. Rob, you were in it. Kate, now you're in it. So help me understand what did it look like for you, Rob? Yeah, I mean, for me, I think it was understood when I was hired that I was being hired for something that probably wasn't my ideal job. As Father James says, you hire for the position you have and you grow into the position uh, that suits you. And so we we're always changing, and 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 the role did change. Uh, as as time went on to kind of fit who I was and how I was wired a little bit more. But at the end of the day, the job was largely administrative and I wasn't necessarily the most gifted administrator uh, on staff. And so so I knew that 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 uh, uh, that was becoming a bit more of a challenge for me to emotionally, you know, kind of engage around some of that stuff. And so uh, I actually had a, a conversation with Father James about uh, a year or so before he transitioned out that I just said, you know what, I'm I'm probably in my last 12 months of effectiveness. A year from now, you're probably not going to want me in this position. How did you know? Like, in all seriousness, how did you, like, I mean, that's that takes a high degree of self-awareness to be able to have that conversation with your boss. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I've had that conversation in the past when it didn't go as well. Uh, but that's a whole <laughs> other conversation. Uh, it was just, you know, the energy that you have to do for things. And, you know, I just found myself uh, mentally and emotionally trying to have to put more into doing some of these things. And then you're aware of the things that you kind of gravitate towards that maybe isn't part of your job description or you're not able to do or whatever the case is. And so I was just, I just had a growing awareness around what some of those things were. And so when you decided to, to join us here at St. Benedict, or St. Benedict, that divine renovation uh, full time, and, and now you still retain a role at St. B's. You're on yes, the leadership team there. So I don't want to diminish that, but, yeah. but I mean, the most, most of your time now is focused on divine renovation. Um, so what did that look like? Uh, how, how was that how, how was that experience for both mm. of you? Yeah, I mean, one of the things that I've tried to do is, is you know, obviously there's a tight partnership between Divine Renovation and St. Benedict. So as, as the conversation kind of, you know, came to the surface, I, I brought it to them at the team. And I just, because... Senior leadership team? Yeah, and, and, and other people that knew me as well. Because, uh, again, I think one of the mistakes you can make is when you're feeling overwhelmed or you're feeling frustrated or discouraged or whatever it is, uh, you know, any port in a storm will do right. And so any, you, you can, you can jump into anything. And so I wanted to make sure that I had feedback from people that knew me best and knew what I could do best. 
say, okay, is this a fit? Am I, you know, am I out to left field and, you know, things like that. And again, I'm, I'm passionate about several things. And so even some people outside of St. Benedict and some other ministry interests that I was considering, you know, I was discerning around as well, mm-hmm. uh, conversation with my wife. But, you know, ultimately at the end of the day, in the work context, the team at St. Benedict, I said, okay, uh, here's here's what's being offered. You know who I am. You know what I do here. Uh, all that sort of stuff. Is this a good fit? Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and, and ultimately they were... They all kind of spoke into my life. They saw this being a good good fit for me. So that was one of the key key aspects. I feel like this is one of those times where the senior leadership team was there to, to support you yeah. through a, an important transition. Yeah. It's, it's interesting. And, yeah. and it helped kind of set up the transition rather than me just walk in and say, hey, everybody, guess what? I'm done in two weeks, you know, or <laughs> it wouldn't have probably been quite that way. So you had more but, than two weeks notice, Kate? <laughs> <laughs> yes, which was wonderful. I mean, obviously we, you know, have come to, you know, know and respect and care for Rob so much. I mean, we're so grateful for what he's done at the parish continues to do and, you know, felt, yeah, like he's got so much to offer and it would be a great fit for him to be involved, you know, to be able to impact the wider church and whatnot. So, um, yeah, but obviously less scary for me knowing that we had some time to talk about it and the fact that he wouldn't be gone completely. Mm. Um, Rob's someone I've always you know, look to for, um, you know, I often make trips to his office to just bounce things off him and that. So knowing that that's still an option and uh, he's still there, you know, with his wisdom and and there. So no, the the common knowledge for us, but not for people Mm. who are joining us is that Rob's office was actually a closet. True. (laughs) So uh, did, did, did uh, did the transition happen? Did you get the closet? Did you inherit? No, um, amazingly, I've chosen not to move into the closet. Uh, It's wonderful that he has that closet space. We've said, you know what, we'll even let you keep that closet if you'd like. Um, It's full of bookshelves, which is wonderful. And um, so, yeah, he's maintained the closet. Um, (laughs) The great thing about it is nobody else wanted the office. So (laughs) I've had no problem keeping it. (laughs) That's, uh, I'm not sure if I should congratulate you or just, you know, cry on your shoulder with you. Anyways, yeah, no. (laughs) So did you guys talk a lot about the transition? Like, was there a lot of like, were you guys meeting deliberately about some of the things that were being handed off? Was there direct, like, how how did that process work? I mean, there were conversations, like we were always trying to talk about, you know, you know, what are the next hires or what we're always looking at structure. Right. And so we've talked about structure and, and things and is our structure best supporting the mission and things like that. And, uh, Rob had some ideas about that, you know, earlier on that maybe some of us might've been more resistant to, um, like maybe me. And so <laughs> <laughs> if I'm being honest, just kind of unsure. Um, but again, you know, I think like, I'm very grateful for how the whole thing has kind of gone. Um, it's been, you know, it's been a great journey and a great learning experience for me. And uh, yeah, it's been interesting, but so, so, so Rob, let me ask you, I'm going to put you on the spot. You ready for this? So if you were, if you were, if you were talking to a pastor or a priest who's, who's transitioning someone out uh, from a current role uh, and you're, you know, you're bringing someone in, what are two tips you might give them? Two things that you would say, here's a couple things that would be helpful that you, you that you do in order to make this transition successful. What would be two, what two tips might you give? Yeah, I think, um, the first is I don't think you realize how often your identity gets connected to your role, mm. you know. And so I remember uh, I remember the first time they wrote Kate's name up, and at the time my title was director of operations, and so her current title is or her current responsibility is kind of uh, overseeing communications and operations, kind of morphed into one team, and hence the, the the difference. But at the time they hadn't had that definition, so you know, seeing Kate Robinson director of operations when for the last four years I'd seen that was kind of like. 
oh, okay. You know, and it was just sort of that, there, there's a bit of kind of that emotional, oh, yeah, okay, you know, and uh, just kind of internally. So I would say, you know, be prepared for that. And maybe this is connected to it. You have to, you have to make an intentional choice uh, to be differentiated and, and kind of suspend your emotions and allow the process to move forward and, you know, deal with, deal with that in, in an appropriate way. And, and I had that happen in a previous position. I used to be, um, well, the title we used was youth pastor, but in Catholic context, be youth minister. And I, I knew the transition was happening and I had been away. I was taking seminary classes and I came back on a Wednesday night. I'd been out of town and I walked in and the guy that was going to replace me was leading, leading the youth ministry that night. And I walked in and they announced the transition that night and I didn't know the transition was happening. Oh no. No, you know, and I just remember I walked in the youth pastor and I walked out a guy that's still on staff to church and, and, you know, I'd been, at that time I'd been doing youth ministry for about a decade. So a lot of my identity. So tip, don't do that. Yeah. So a lot of my, <laughs> a lot of my identity was rooted in, in, in what I did, which was a whole new feeling. So I left that night. So, uh, so I'd had that experience before, not as extreme as this. Mm-hmm. And I guess what surprised me at this one though is, is, is director of operations and administration. Also, I knew that was never my strength. And yeah. so if there was any surprise, it was, it was still a surprise. Like I knew I stunk at it and I knew I wanted to walk away. And yet I still had that. I still had kind of that, uh, that, that like, Oh, but what am I now S- sort of in, in, internally going on? So, you know, recognize emotionally how you, we tend to connect uh, with our positions and then be willing to step back, differentiate, and suspend your emotions in the moment, and just pull back and, and process. And you know, mm-hmm. I don't know if people who are more wired around counseling or pastoral care will talk about you know the stages of grief or what, but uh, you know, but just kind of allowing that to to work through. And it's it's still different, you know. Like it used to be uh, when I was responsible for the uh, the property driving on in the morning, and you paid attention to different stuff and things. You had to have conversations. With you, you know, now, now I when dr- the roof leaks, it's not your problem. Yeah, you know, it's things like that. The, the first <laughs> snowstorm, I'm going to be really excited because I'm not going to have to worry about any of that if it doesn't get plowed properly or all that sort of stuff. Yeah, we'll, we'll, but, we'll bring uh, some donuts, perhaps, to yeah. Kate on that day. Our first <laughs> snowstorm uh, donut batch. Yeah. It'll be uh, so. So, but there was a little bit yeah. of sort of who am I now kind of experience in, in trying to navigate that a little. Bit. Right. Yeah. So, so Kate, I understand that uh, you guys are in the midst of your Alpha at St. Benedict Parish, the big mm. one. You got a huge turnout. Uh, it's very exciting. Now, I heard a rumor that you guys are hoping to launch a connect group at the end of Alpha, and that's part of the strategy now. Is that right? Yeah. We're trying to be really intentional about ensuring that we have next steps, you know, across the board for people and trying to sort of, we've probably maybe mentioned it before, but the back door of, you know, having opportunities for people to come in, thankfully through Alpha and continuing to see that grow, and then want to make sure that we have something to offer people so we don't completely lose them when they've come in and and whatnot. So connect groups is one of those important key aspects of the game plan where we Mm -hmm. hope to be able to you know, onboard people into authentic Christian community for their journey. So yeah, our hope and our plan is, um, I have a team now that helps with connect group leadership. Like I kind of am the connect group coordinator, but then I have a team supporting me in that, um, volunteers largely. And we're talking about always wanting to have a, the launch of a connect group to onboard people from a big alpha so that we have that opportunity. For so them. our connect groups are, are mid-sized groups, right? Yes. 20 to 30 ish. So yes. people and they're permanent groups and they meet every other week. Right. And, and I've always found, cause I mean, I've obviously served on alpha at St. Benedict uh, a number of times. I've always found that a lot of our guests are kind of hoping to get into one, but yes. we, we cap it. We don't just let anyone go and form a connect group, right? Exactly. What are some of the reasons behind that? 
because we have to be so intentional about the leadership because essentially we're entrusting connect group leaders with small p you know they're considered small p pastors Mm -hmm. and so we really hope that you know that they are you know going to be you know, accompanying people on their journey, challenging people, um, providing a safe place. And, a, you know, it becomes a family type environment is the hope. So, so yeah, our growth, you know, is based on leadership and the ability to onboard people as leaders and then, and then hopefully grow the groups themselves. So, so we're at 16 or so connect groups right now. Um, not quite, not quite. I know that number was quoted in a homily on the weekend. Okay. So we're, we're, we're yes. okay. Well, I'm, I'm going to run with it. Cause that's the number sure. I've got 16 ish. We'll call it an ish. Sure. It's yeah. in that ballpark. Yes, exactly. All right. So we've got 16 ish yes. uh, connect groups right now at St. Benedict. And that means you've got, cause each connect group has roughly what? Three or four leaders, four leaders, typically four leaders. Yeah. So that, that's actually a whole lot of, of, of le- how in the world do you invest in those people, those leaders, those small P pastors? Yes. It's challenging. So we're, for example, we try to gather connect group uh, leaders monthly. So we invite them to our leadership summits, which happen three times a year. So they're invited to that. And then that we leadership gather... summits for the whole parish, exactly. anyone who's in leadership in the yes, parish, which exactly. is about a hundred odd right. people that usually yeah, show up. For exactly. That. Yeah. So a hundred people for those, but then connect group leaders gather monthly. And essentially what we do in those gatherings is it's the same format as a connect group. Mm-hmm. So the leaders can come together and hopefully we're investing in them and, and, uh, and hearing about how they're doing. We're also meeting, you know, working on meeting with connect group leadership teams as a right. team, uh, with the team uh, of, of lay leaders leading it too. So, so yeah, we're trying to pour into people. We're trying to come up with new ways to say, how are you doing? How are you doing in your leadership? How is your connect group doing? You know, can you, do you have room for new people? Do you need, you know, where, what's your biggest need right now? And trying to speak into that to continue to foster growth. So it's exciting. That's awesome. I'm so, I'm so thrilled. I mean, I love my connect group. It's, it's, uh, in fact, I'll be missing my connect group this week and it's, you know, whose fault it is. It's the fault of our guest today. A true story. So I'll be, I'm, I'm getting on a plane to spend some time with our guest who's, uh, who's Graham Singh. And so I'll be missing my connect group meeting this week and we can blame him when he comes on. So we're going to take a brief pause and we'll be right back. Hello and welcome back to the podcast, Graham Singh. Thank you so much for joining us today. Great to be with you guys. You now, Graham, you've actually you're you're the leader of, of multiple organizations. And I want to make sure everybody has at least some sense of, of who you are. So you're the pastor of of Saint Jack's, and that's, that's right. in Montreal, Canada. That's right. Uh, you're also the director of Church Planning Canada and right. the director of the Trinity Foundation. That's right. So you don't have much on the go. <laughs> well, the great thing, and I hope we'll we'll uncover this, is how these go together. The, the mm. mix between local church the wider networking we do, and my passion, which is seeing the church buildings that we steward actually used to serve mission and the local community. I'm I'm so excited to have you on because there's so many, so many directions we could go in terms of our conversation because you're involved in so many things that I think are aligned closely with what divine renovation is about and the way that we operate. Um, So help me understand some of the things that you're hoping to see happen this year. What are some of the big projects you're involved in? Well, maybe some of the connection for divine renovation listeners. Um, My my own friendship with Father James Mellon goes back uh, many years to our mutual connection through Holy Trinity Brompton. We were both really inspired in our models of church leadership. So for me, at the core, I'm a pastor in the Anglican Church, and my heart is to see the local church come alive. And that's my main work down in downtown Montreal. Uh, and like you guys, we use Alpha right at the core of that. So at the core for me is anything we can do to see the local church thrive. Mm-hmm. I believe within that, we have been handed a stewardship of some incredible urban assets. I call this actually the largest underutilized asset class uh, in Canadian cities. I'm also a graduate of the London School of Economics, and I, I love thinking about things from that point of view. And of course, many of 
members of our congregations, key leaders, come from a business background. They look at this and they think, come on, we ought to be able to do so much better. What assets are you talking about, Graham? Primarily, I'm talking about our buildings. So if you look at where society is shaped, where all the people want to be with their new startups and their cool ideas, and they're in the downtown of our Canadian cities. Of course, there's good things happening in the suburbs as well, but people are wanting to be central these days and they want to gather. They want to have more genuine connection points. And you, you look at the places where they want to be, where the municipalities want to be, and you realize, hold on, we have a whole bunch of pointy roofed buildings with steeples on top that we're not quite sure how to use. So those assets to me are actually what a lot of Canada looks at and they think, we're not so sure what we think about the church these Mm -hmm. days, but man, we'd love to do some cool things in their buildings. And and I'd love for us to wake up to that opportunity. So in some of my own travels and as I've gone around the world, not just in in North America, but I'm I'm finding that at least the Catholic church, we we seem to have a, a lot of, we have declining attendance. You know, we, we have buildings that are being underutilized and, and bishops and, and pastors are struggling with this uh, and they don't, they don't seem to know what to do. And, and so, you know, but they're still trying to prop up the infrastructure. They're trying to be like, oh, well, we're going to keep the building open, right? In fact, I was just talking last, uh, last week to, um, we have a, a seminarian uh, who's with us, Antoine. And so Antoine's from France and we were talking about, um, we're doing a conference in France in 2019 and uh, we were talking about some of the experiences there. And he said, well, you know, one of the pastors I know, He's, a, he's the pastor of, of 60 parishes, 60 churches. Yeah. What, six, six, yeah. They said, no, I was sure I was a, a language issue. I'm like, <laughs> can you say that in French? Because yeah. I'm, like, I'm pretty sure you just said 60, not 16. Yeah. And I was going to be shocked at 16. Yeah. But I mean, that's how many church buildings this one guy was going around propping up. Is it, are, are you finding that? Is that the similar across other traditions? What, what does there that are. Like? I mean, we have some in our Anglican tradition, we have a number of instances of that kind of situation. Um, we, we have to dial what's happening with rural, urban, suburban onto that. Mm-hmm. So certainly in rural France, where my wife comes from, uh, there are places where there used to be loads of people there because of the way that the agricultural economy worked, that people, it, nobody lives there anymore. So th- there's a problem of just basic urban shift. The world is urbanizing. Mm-hmm. But then within that, we're trying to figure out what does it mean to be a priest? And similarly, in the Roman Catholic Church, these are huge questions. In our Anglican Church, in every church, we are struggling to know what does it mean to see ordained leaders? You know, we're talking about how do we release people after an alpha group? You know, these kinds of questions. The great thing is we have the scriptures to go back to. We have Jesus and a bunch of fishermen, and we know that they figured it out. The book of Acts, 3,000 people come to faith in, in Acts chapter 2. They figured it out. The Holy Spirit equipped them. And I think if we go into this with not just glass half full, but, but glass is totally full, thanks to the Lord. And we know that he not only has a plan then, but he has a new plan for us now. I think going into it with that faith that there is a solution on that is a key, key part of going into this. And using every bit of brain power mm-hmm. the Lord has given us. And I think that's a frustration <laughs> for some people. I even heard one, one guy, he was in tears when we asked him to be part of the Trinity Centers Foundation. His family founded one of Canada's largest commercial real estate organizations. He said, Graham, my family's been in this business for generations, and I have personally. He said, I've also loved the Lord Jesus my whole life, but nobody's ever really asked me to use the gifts I have. When I do offer it, they often say, well, would you just kind of hold the door open? On the-? He's so happy to be a servant leader and holding the door open, but for heaven's sake, if we'd let him into that meeting, right. and I think so many of our bishops, if you have a beer with them, 
or you have a scotch, depending on which denomination we're talking about here, maybe a, a coffee. I Let's stick with that. Yeah. Yeah. You know, often, I think so many of our bishops are dreaming and yearning along with all the rest of us to see these things happen. Mm. But when they get back into their office, there's actually a setup, a structure, which is working against a lot of the best dreams. So you got to have to describe what the Trinity Foundation is for, for people who are listening. What is this Trinity Foundation you're talking yeah, about? Yeah, so... Um, what we're calling this is the Trinity Center's foundation. So we're saying a Trinity Center is an old church building that's transformed into a community hub while still retaining Sunday Christian worship. So it's not a completely deconsecrated building. We even, we're going to try to find a better phrase than this, but, but it's, there's places and times where we partially temporarily deconsecrate a space. Partially, yeah, temporarily yeah, yeah, deconsecrate a place. <laughs> but I think people who think about this... Is there a particular prayer for the partial yeah, deconsecration? There is. There is. It's a silent prayer. You just say, Lord, <laughs> and then afterwards you do it again to say, okay, it's holy again now, Lord. But actually, you know, the places where we go and proclaim the Lord's presence become holy by our presence in that place. Mm-hmm. One of the questions we ask ourselves theologically is, are these buildings more like uh, Solomon's temple or are they more like Nehemiah's wall? Because if they're more like Solomon's temple, we should be really worried about what happens in there. We should be very protective. They should be holy spaces. But if it's more like Nehemiah's wall, we should understand these are the places where agreements are made, where trust is built up, where relationships are formed. And Nehemiah, somebody said to me the other day, they said, Graham, you shouldn't do this because, you know, Nehemiah did not go back to build the city. He went back ultimately to build the temple. I said, what? Which Nehemiah are you reading, man? You know, Nehemiah got his permission from the king to rebuild the city. And I think now as we look at so many issues in our cities and in our communities, we can find and be allied with people in the community. We, we call them sometimes our secular friends. Mm. Um, it's one of those words I, I use less and less and less. It's like uh, lay and clergy. These are, these are phrases that I, I'm finding myself using less and less. Because in the city, we find like Nehemiah did with the king, we find people who understand the brokenness of the city. And if we can ally ourselves with them, we can find actually the opportunity for friendship is much higher quality. From that engagement, I think we start to get some of the answers. So Trinity Center's foundation is trying to say, let's see this new model exist where that's the way we use this building. It's community, but there's still worship. And trying to say, how can we actually create a new funding model around this? Probably one of the most exciting things around that has been working with some of the big institutional funds in Canada. We've been approaching them saying, guys, are you interested in this? Is this something you want to be? And they're saying, we're very interested in this because we're trying to see something like 10% of our fund uh, assigned to what they call socially responsible investments. Those are investments where they can either measure the green impact on the environment or the social impact. And green impact is fairly well described. Social impact Nobody, in can- nobody really knows how to measure it yet. It's mm. a new area of investment. And what we're trying to say is, well, great social things happen when groups that are trying to build the city come together. So what if we located those in our buildings and you still made space for us to do our Christian stuff on Sunday? Uh, well, that's something of what we're trying to do. So both the model and the fund is, is kind of like uh, the holy grail, I don't mean to use that in too flippantly, but it's, it's, it's this kind of thing we're trying to find and we know that people are looking for it. And so we're trying to say, everybody who's looking for that thing, let's get together in Canada and let's look for it together. And we're probably about 50 key leaders from around Canadian denominations, banks, um, social entrepreneurial innovation uh, endeavors and government. So it's, it's a pretty fun stage. <laughs> 
wondering, it's so hopeful hearing you speak of this. I feel like there's so much creativity that's happening and people using their gifts in particular ways. Could you give us like a concrete example of where the creativity of what you're doing has been able to be recognized in a community and what that's kind of how that's been shaped? So I want to give a huge shout out to my bishop, Bishop Mary, Mm -hmm. uh, who's the first female bishop of Quebec. Uh, She's an amazing leader, has an MBA from uh, University of Quebec. And Bishop Mary and our diocese, I think, have taken what is maybe one of the biggest risks in Canada mm-hmm. of, of letting me come over. Moi, je suis un pasteur anglicain qui parle français aussi. Alors, to be in Quebec, like, it's like you're an Anglican minister who speaks French. Like, they kind of have to let me in, right? <laughs> uh, no, I'm just kidding. That's a joke. But um, honestly, we don't have too many ministers ready to do this work. But Bishop Mary has taken a huge risk. And the diocese have invested significant funds in allowing us to do this. So our pilot site, which we've called St. Jack's Montreal, that's used to be called St. James the Apostle Anglican Church. We shortened that down because <laughs> we could also be Saint-Jacques-Lapotre. So we're saying it's not Jack, it's not James, it's Jack's. It's kind of Montreal short form kind of thing. And I would say, honestly, the best place that I could point people to in Canada uh, would be St. Jack's. Mm. Um, I'm working on my Doctor of Ministry degree slowly Dan before you freak out of another thing that but actually it's the thing that kind of binds this this work together to say how can we deeply think about this uh, and I would say what we're trying to do is see this building we have five churches that share one building including our own Anglican community and uh, we have multiple community organizations that share and now right away somebody might be saying hey we have scout groups we have AA groups we have all these groups we have concerts we have what we've found and I've certainly found this in my research, is that we've so underbuilt our facilities. They're so crummy mm-hmm. often that, yes, those groups are present, but the amount of revenue they're bringing in is poor. Mm-hmm. And as a result, we're often not honoring people with our best spaces. We often are putting them in our crummy church basements that are a bit cold and leaky instead of putting them in our sanctuaries and saying, you who are working with alcoholics, why would we not put that in the absolute prime space the space that says this is the most important thing, that somebody would be set free from addiction. And somebody would say, no, hold on. The most important thing is the Eucharist. Say, yes, that's right. So on Sunday, it's all about the Eucharist. But actually throughout the week, aren't we seeing Eucharistic-like tendencies in the confession, in the receiving again of promises, in the setting free from bondage in something like AA? Mm -hmm. So what we would find is, I think the business model versus the architectural importance could really use a kind of kick in the pants mm. to, to, to get up to the kind of pace we'd like to see it. So Graham, in the, in the divine renovation model, our focus is always on, on mission. And our mission, of course, is to bring people to Jesus. How do we bring people to Jesus? And in fact, I think Father James's book, his first book, um, his maintenance to mission book, he, you know, he talks about the card groups and how he kicked the card groups out uh, because they were taking up space and he needed to, to run alpha, I think. And, and so, so how, how do I reconcile that, that position? Like we're, we're about trying to bring people to Jesus. How do I reconcile it with what yeah. you're talking about? I remember one of the churches, so it's, it's been my privilege. It's been, we, we've, um, I've led four churches now as the, their pastor. Uh, and in our second church, I called one of my bishops. I said, Bishop Rick, we have 21 user groups in this church as we take it over. And we're trying to shut it down and start over again. So our model is a kind of slightly more extreme version of divine renovation, as in it's kind of like, Let's be obvious sometimes when there's a bankruptcy. Like, let's close it down. Let's <laughs> yep. shut her down. And I think I mentioned in joking, I'm, I'm sometimes not everybody's favorite person to come because I'm on the sli- I've, I've ended up taking on some of the harder cases, which yep. usually means a harder shutdown. I called Bishop Rick. I said, Bishop, how many of these groups should I keep? Hmm. 
And he said, Graham, you're going to want to try to keep all of them, but you're probably going to find you should probably stop relationships with all of them and then rebuild those relationships. And that's probably been some of the wisest advice that I've ever received because those groups are often fantastic. But within some of those relationships in a broken church environment, just those rental or space sharing arrangements can be very dangerous. Mm. Uh, So I really believe in shutting them down firmly with love, with an open invitation to say, we would love to find a way of working with you really well in the future. But working with you really well means, hey, for instance, you have to adhere to our child protection policy. That's an important thing for us. You know, we're all trying to learn deeply from the Truth and Reconciliation Commission, Mm -hmm. what we learn from residential schools. So we can't, uh, for instance, just run a homeless shelter alongside a children's ministry. Mm -hmm. You couldn't put a homeless shelter in a primary school, uh, could you? Just like that. Mm -hmm. Uh, You'd have to be very careful about how you do it. And we need to apply that same kind of care. And what we've found is that people who are invited into that kind of serious, mature, adult conversation where we say we are starting again, actually great discussions happen. But man, I would say to somebody trying to do this, don't half try. Because half try can really be demoralizing. Is this, is this Bishop Brick from, from England? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I love that guy. Yeah, I, I got to spend some time with him yeah. uh, not too long ago. And, and he just Very wise, he had some man. great wisdom and, and some uh, some hard hard words, to be honest. Because mm-hmm. yeah. like, and obviously in the Catholic context, you know, and uh, this, our own diocese, as we go through our restructure here in Halifax, Yarmouth, I mean, you know, I was talking to the diocese a couple of weeks ago and uh, a couple of people from there, and they're like, you have to think of the parish as a container. And inside that container, there's a bunch of buildings. Yeah. And the question is, how are you going to operate your container with the various buildings that you've got? And I think what you're proposing is to, to understand, Graham, like we've got buildings. How do we utilize them? And as we continue to have, um, you know, challenges around uh, getting the right pastors in place uh, or having enough pastors uh, to, to, to lead, uh, you know, that that becomes a real issue. And I think we feel it a bit here in, in, in Halifax, Yarmouth. And I know we're not the only diocese. There's plenty of dioceses, plenty of people listening who are struggling with the same thing. One of the things that uh, would come from some of those hard words have been some of the hard situations I think we've all faced. And when you hear about somebody talking about, you know, a, a situation of leadership that's resulted in abuse of a young person or a vulnerable person. We're all dealing with that. It doesn't matter if we were in the parish where some of that happened. If we meet somebody that we want to talk to them about our faith, sometimes the first thing they mention is, well, what about that scandal? Uh, in our case at St. Jack's, my not previous minister before me, but the one before her was actually, was actually killed by somebody he'd been involved with in an inappropriate um, sexual relationship. Wow. Um, it's a little bit even harder than that, but it, it was a very, very bleak situation. I mean, think about how a community could respond to that. Mm. One of the answers is actually, there are some situations a community cannot respond to, and it is more faithful to speak the Lord's resurrection power and hope over a situation and say, that expression of church needs to end well in order for us to start something new. And so for me, divine renovation uh, we, we've encountered a lot of those kinds of situations. I'm so thankful to the work that you and Father James and the whole team have been doing on this. But I think in talking about some of these hard issues, it's helpful for us to say to people, we know how hard some of those situations are. And actually, it's okay in some situations to close down well in the hope of something new coming. So we've got a lot of um, pastors that we connect with, either uh, connected with us through the association or our network, and then others we just encounter um, all over the world from when we do events and travel. 
And, you know, I do hear the same, one of the same stories I hear a lot is, you know, a pastor's got a number of different buildings. He's stretched too thin, can't manage it all. There's financial challenges. Uh, what would, what kind of advice would you give to a pastor like that? Especially one that's propping up a bunch of, yeah. of, of built infrastructure. Yeah. What kind of advice would you give to that guy? Well, one of the things I remember saying to Father James uh, many years ago was, you know, James, how many priests have just asked you to just come and live with you? Just come and hang out, you know, in Halifax. And of course, that is part of the fruit. I wasn't the only person yeah. asking Father James about that. You all have built this environment where actually I think in the Roman Catholic Church, this is one of the most incredible environments where you could come and be refreshed. My encouragement to that priest would be to make sure that they're having that conversation with their bishop and their synod really, really well and really, really seriously before they embark on coming on a, mm. a, a path of renewal here. What I mean by that is acknowledging, you know, don't we do this in the confession? Isn't this part of our liturgy where we, we, we make sure that we get as a community to the bottom of the root of sin? And we say, this has gone wrong. We've sinned. We've strayed away from you, Lord. Please help us to turn around. And I think when we're dealing with some of the most difficult parish situations, that priest could go to their bishop and their synod or other representatives and say, isn't it possible that this is almost an impossible situation? And if we could recognize that, would you give me the opportunity, bishop, to kind of have a blank sheet? And would you give me really the opportunity to try this? I'll work with the best mentors we can and the best coaches but can we have a, a real clear run at this? And I think that preparation, that recognition of how bad a situation is, in the hope that God has given us, actually is one of the best things we can do. And you know, a lot of corporate leaders, business leaders, they would tell us exactly that. I can't quote the exact quote from Jack Welch from GE, but he, he talks a lot about the kind of leaders that he trusts are the people who can describe what's gone wrong best. Mm. I think sometimes we try to put on, literally, new wine into old wineskins yeah. without saying, hey, let's recognize we need a new wineskin here. So I'd say recognizing something is there, then finding best practice. And as divine renovation grows, I'm so excited. Dan, you mentioned the thing I'm dragging you away from your, <laughs> your connect group. I, I promise we're going to pray together. We're going to read the Bible. Uh, I'm going to make the sign of the cross when we pray with Least you and me. Once. We're going to do that Least a couple once. of times. Brother. I, do that, I do that most times, but we'll, we'll do that together. And I want to say, I think that as divine renovation actually comes back onto, I think you guys can be ambassadors to parts of the church that may not have had a Roman Catholic presence. And I, I don't mean you're representing in a, in a kind of Episcopal way in anything like that, but just in a, in a comrades kind of way to be out with other people who are trying to crack the same codes. Mm. There are other churches where maybe the Roman Catholic church, we, there hasn't been such a good connection I'm saying that as an Anglican. We always see ourselves in the middle of like, you guys are our brothers and then everybody else is our brothers. And we, but I want to say, I think connecting with other churches could, and of course, this is an obvious thing to say, right? Connect with other churches is a good thing to do. Mm -hmm. But I mean, on a much deeper basis to say, how could we minister alongside each other? I think, I think recognizing and learning together are probably two of the most important things for me. Mm -hmm. Graham, in this journey that you're kind of on in, in trying to help churches not just close down or sell, or how can we... Uh, make best use of our buildings. Where do you see some of that fleshing itself out? Like, do you see multiple denominations working? What's and what are some of the what are the, some of the other success stories or some of the examples that you've kind of come across yeah. with that? Well, we were talking about one of my favorite stories is actually from you guys, actually from the Roman Catholic Diocese in Quebec City, uh, who was sharing a building with a Pentecostal church in the afternoon, and they turned around and said, "Actually, we can't sustain this building. We're going to sell it, but actually, we'd be willing to sell it to you." 
and they named the price. It was, it was higher than they could have otherwise afforded. But the Pentecostal church turned around and said, what if we keep you guys in here on Sunday at four o'clock? And the Roman Catholic community said, well, we would love that. And then, by the way, we would offer you a price that was like a quarter of what was previously offered. The Pentecostal church got, a, got their money together. They didn't quite have enough. And the diocese actually lent them the, re- the remainder of the money to buy the building. So now this Pentecostal church has this mission station. And this is the best part of this story, is they then looked at all of the statues, the icons, the elements of Catholic worship that might they would otherwise just want to come in and remove, right? Yeah. They looked at those and they thought, given the grace we've been shown, ought we to remove all of these things? Or ought we to leave them for our brothers and sisters who will be worshiping here in their own building at, at 4 p.m.? And they left all of those things in place. I'm sure they made a few amendments. I yeah. probably made a few improvements. But that story of camaraderie has, I know that's been presented to the uh, College of Bishops in Quebec and in Canada. And it's been presented, I can tell you that story, I've presented it to the Southern Baptists in, in, in Atlanta. You know, that story has gotten around. And I think telling great stories is one well, of our... It's funny because as you're talking... Uh, you know, you're talking about the Catholic Church, you're talking about the context in the Anglican Church, another kind of mainline, coming from the evangelical background. And I was, I never planted a church myself. I was part of teams that, that worked on staff after churches were recently planted. But you tend to think in terms of, you know, how do you do ministry without a building? And so often it's in a growing context. And so my mindset is, you know, you walk into a movie theater and it's like, how could we do a church here? Or you walk into some community space and so for, for people that are on the other side, and I know we're probably talking mainly, what, what would it look like to create partnerships with maybe church plants of other That's denominations right. that are looking for space, particularly in downtown areas? Because I know a lot of denominations now are focusing in on uh, city areas. It's, historically, it's been easier to start churches in the suburbs. And, uh, you know, we've, we've largely ignored uh, city centers, downtowns, things That's like right. that. And so what would be a word for churches that maybe you've got this big empty building or the occasional church planter that might be coming across this podcast, whatever it is, to create those partnerships? So, Rob, I love that question. And that, it kind of ties together. I mean, when I first meet people and explain that, you know, have these kind of couple of different parts of leadership, sometimes it doesn't immediately come together why those things go together. But through your question, it really does. Because to me, those organizations that are planting new churches some of them have really rethought what it means to do mission in this age. They've really rebuilt the car engine and they've got some incredible tools for us uh, as together, the kind of kingdom team in Canada. They, their, their basic assumption is to go and rent a space. So that's why they'll go. And here's a funny uh, stat. Cineplex Odeon, 25% of Cineplex Odeon. That's our movie you know, theater here in yeah, Canada. Yeah. There we go. Uh, is 25% of their non-film business. So all the stuff they do other than show movies is renting to churches. Wow. So they are actually uh, one of our main sponsors for our conference for Church Planting Canada. <laughs> wow. Right? And, they, and they hold, we hold half the conference in a Cineplex facility. That's right? We hold yeah. part of it in a, the evangelical church, part of it in the Cineplex. We're really hoping, actually, uh, that we're going to be hold, holding part of it at, at a Roman Catholic building nearby. I can't say oh, much more about that right now, but Dan, I'm hoping you're going to help me uh, pull, the, pull that together. But that's the kind of picture we want to have. But here's what I want to say. The reason they like that is because... The, the toilets work, the screens work, 
They even have parking, which is yeah. a nice trick. Yeah. Um, and things work. They're reliable. Yeah. And so for one of us, comfortable mainline seats. churches, comfortable seats. Yeah. I don't like the seats to be too comfortable, though. I don't like people <laughs> sitting down for too long. But, but for those of us who have big buildings that we're wanting to use, I would say the condition, the quality, the lighting, the, mm. the, the, the way the doors open, you know, actually it all matters to a space because we're trying to bring people out of a city where things work. Right, yep. and they come into an old church building. And think, hold on, you're telling us the King of Kings is responsible for this building, particularly. Yet nothing works in this building, and it's like a 40 watt light bulb, like hanging from a string. Like this does not add up. So the condition of the building, to me, needs to come up to attract those church planting groups, and actually they could be a significant source of revenue in the right situations. I guess ultimately, what I'm suggesting though is even a church that says, well, let's just rent out a bit of our space, because a lot of churches are doing that. In a lot of the buildings we're looking at, I don't think that's enough to make the revenue model work. I think we're really looking at Monday through Saturday, finding what effectively look like, I said I wasn't going to use this word, but secular uses, Mm -hmm. people who are willing to pay good amounts of money for beautiful space. And I think we probably need to set up a different way of engaging with those. And that's why we've set up the Trinity Centers Foundation. Uh, We're going to be running actually a, a webinar Coming up, we'll probably try to attach the data that in some way to this notice, to this podcast, if we yep. can, uh, to say to bishops and denominational executives, how could they consider being part of what we're trying to build to see if that might be of service? So, so let me let me see let me respond in the way that I see our problem, and, and by our problem, I'm, I'm owning the entire problems of the Catholic Church from that in that statement, which is a little more than I, I, I signed up for on this podcast. Um, but but the, the problem I've encountered over and over with with especially in conversation with a diocese, whenever I talk to people from a diocese, and certainly across North America. One of the things they struggle with is they want to, they have to sell off property. They're selling off property and they choose to sell the property that's going to give them the most revenue, which is property in in downtown city centers. And so I keep encountering that over and over again. We can't afford to keep the building, Dan, so we're going to be selling. We got these five properties that we're throwing up for sale and, you know, it's going to be mowed down into a parking lot or a new office building or whatever is going to become of that space. Uh, What would you say to to, to all the dioceses, people from dioceses that are listening? So I'll give you, uh, this is not exactly against the directions of my board, but this is against the directions of normal, like kind of research and development. I'm about to give you our current status of our secret sauce for the tradition, the, the Trinity Centers Foundation. What we're really trying to come up with is a, either a, what they would call a co-ownership or an asset management model, where we would say, let's take that building and let's think with a diocese to think they're already thinking of multiple options, right? One option is miraculously, it all just works again the way it used mm-hmm. to. And, and honestly, people kind of hope that that would happen. They're like, if only 200 new people came and they all tithe, it would all be fine. <laughs> the, the hard part is when they realize even if that happened, it still wouldn't be fine given the other costs that are going on. The second option is you find, well, here's a way of developing a little piece of the land. The worst one, the kiss of death. And if I could say, I don't know if I get to look at the camera, whatever camera I can look at. <laughs> Take any camera, but to we'll say, to, to say <laughs> do not sell your church hall. <laughs> uh, yeah, right? You sell the church hall. Do not well, sell on the other hall. side of the church, people are saying, you know, like you're saying, it's going to be all about young families, reaching families with little kids. So if you've now trying to put all those kids into the sanctuary and you just sold your hall to build some housing there because you thought that is a stopgap measure. It, it is palliative care. It never, mm. ever works. So option two would be develop a piece of land on the site, but do it right mm-hmm. without crushing the mission of the church. Um, option three might be something else we haven't thought of, four, five, six. But the final option is none of it worked. None of it worked. We have to sell that site, rezone it, and promote it as something else. That's what a developer does when they buy a church. 
What we're trying to do with the Trinity Centers Foundation is we're trying to say, let's take any play the developer would have in their kind of playbook. Mm -hmm. Let's pull that into the foundation so that we can share that with the diocese and with the foundation and actually do that better. Our, our assumption is we can do that better than a developer because we're bringing so many developers who are Christians mm -hmm. into our team. Not all of them are Christians, by the way, but some who are, who are saying, guys, you're not going to make any money on this. We want you to volunteer your time, your expertise. And some of them who are not Christians, actually, they're doing the same thing. So it's a kind of funny mm -hmm. way in which this has been growing. But we're saying, guys, we can probably get all the expertise that would happen if you sold it. So don't just sell it. And often what's happening with dioceses is we're selling these buildings almost in the dark of night, right? Like one day they're here, next day they're gone. And somebody in a diocesan office is kind of thinks that's probably the best thing because if only people knew the complexities of it, they wouldn't get it. And I guess we're trying to say, come on, let's, we're trying to bring a lot of things out of, you know, into the open, increasing transparency. I think we need to increase transparency on this. That's what I would say to a diocese to say, come on, let's pull out the life cycle of this building and let's, Let's find a way of journeying through that together. I think your, your, your solution is so timely, especially in the Catholic Church and certainly here in Canada and in North America, because what you're identifying is like these, these bishops are, are struggling under the weight of the diocesan teams that they are they're, they're you know, as we retreat to try and draw a new line so we can venture forth. And so much of our work is like, you know, let's, let's venture forth. But we also have to recognize there's a degree of retreat that a diocese often That's has right. to do. And so in that retreat, there's all sorts of options that, and decisions that are being made. And some of them are so critical. Yeah. And I, I, it's 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 tricky because like, dioceses don't have a lot of experience in, in this. The, the people working on the diocesan staff, like God bless each and every one of them, the load must be unbelievable. Do, do you know what happens, Dan? Sometimes there is somebody who comes on with experience. So they'll say, let's hire somebody with experience. Yeah. Mm -hmm. The problem is you put that person in a system where, so we've met some of the property experts that we've become friends with. And, um, you know, there's some experience that, I, that I've brought into this as well from my own family experience. You know, a good idea is something they will work on with a team of 10 people for a week. They won't talk about anything else but that idea. Yeah. You try to put that into a diocese, you get one interesting property person. Maybe it's a volunteer or a kind of staff member type of person they put on. That person's got like one hour and then a committee meeting and half an hour in that committee to work up that idea. There is no way that they're going to be able to compete on that level of innovation. Mm -hmm. so the idea is to say... You know, the expertise is one thing, but it's also the structure in which it's placed. I mean, I love that you guys are here. Look at you, Divine Renovation. You're hugely part of what's happening at St. Benedict Parish, but you're also set up here to be able to reach the world and have just a different perspective. I love the way the interaction between these two organizations, but you've realized the structure is important. That's the bit within our diocese where we're, you know, a lot of people will say, right? They'll use a shorthand. They'll say, for heaven's sake, why doesn't somebody set up some kind of property entity that really looks at this properly? And then the bishop, you know, quietly while on retreat or walking through uh, their diocese or driving down the road, I think so many bishops are thinking to themselves, I just want to be a pastor of pastors. I want to release my ministers in mission. I don't want to be a property company, mm -hmm. um, but, I, but I am, and I don't know how to do that. I think we have to look at this more seriously and say, let us set up an entity which is dedicated to this work, which can benefit the diocese in that way so that that bishop can be that pastor. And frankly, I want to set it up so I can go back to being a pastor. I, I can see this thing happening, but I hope, like many times in my leadership, I hope people will come along behind me and say, Graham, thanks for the idea. This is great. Foundation's great, but we're, we're a lot better at this than you. So would you mind just moving away? I'm very happy for when that day comes. But right now, I feel like we're not grasping the nettle on this. 
And I think many of our listeners today will be will be kind of amening. Even even I can even imagine some Roman Catholic priests just shouting amen. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and many many lay people who are saying we've been dreaming this. Come on, we've got to do something about this. So for all those those uh, those pastors, priests, uh, diocesan people yelling amen, Graham, where's the best ways for them to, to look up the Trinity Foundation? Where are ways they can chase you down to learn more or to connect with you? So this is all in aid of pre-launch. We've yeah. worked out that front page news is not something that, uh, you know, we're not worried about when this reaches the Globe and Mail or that kind of thing. We're trying to do all of this in pre-launch. So this season we're, we've setting up, pardon me, we are setting up webinars for each of the major Canadian denominations that owns buildings. Mm-hmm. We're putting messages through to houses of bishops, colleges of bishops, to let them know that this is coming. And before Christmas, and if you check out the link attached to this, we'll be able to confirm what that date is. We'll be having a, a webinar for Roman Catholic diocesan executives and <clears throat> bishops. That's one place for those folks. The other place is our website, trinitycenters.org, and we have a newsletter on there. What we can't do right now, and what we've been getting a lot of requests for, is people saying, I used to belong to this church. I know there's nothing happening there. If you just, can you just go there and like wave a wand and make it happen? Unfortunately, like we, we've got some more homework to do on this. If you are, if somebody is incredibly wealthy, now would be a great time to donate to the work uh, to do this. And, and those who are involved in structuring funds, those are the kinds of people that we're looking to particularly learn. So trinitycenters.org. Uh, I'd also welcome you as many people do, uh, like they do here at St. Benedict. Like if you're in town in Montreal, come worship with us on a Sunday morning, see what's going on, uh, come and experience and see what our pilot site looks like. Uh, and just just journey with us in prayer, please, for heaven's sake. These are, these are like kind of concrete blocks we need to move in prayer. But when you think about the many times, think about Nehemiah's journey. Was it any harder or, you know, actually Nehemiah faced the same thing. He faced the city in ruins. And we look at many of our churches and we think, Honestly, it feels like so much is in ruins right now. And I look at that and I think, God, I actually prayed one time recently. It's like, Lord, have you ever seen anything as weird as this? And, and I felt rebuked. I felt like the Lord, as I looked through the scriptures, I felt like the Lord saying, are you kidding me? <laughs> have you not read your Bible? Do you not realize how many bizarre situations there are? So yeah. I would say to people, come into this in hope, in prayer, in positivity, but also honesty to say, come on, let's address this together. Well, thanks so much for coming on the podcast, Graham. Thanks so much for all the things that you're doing for, for Canada, for Montreal, certainly for the kingdom. You're opening new doors and, and you're opening minds to new approaches and ideas. And I think that's so critical. So thank you so much. Thank you guys so much for this time. Uh, for those of you who've been able to join us, uh, it's such a blessing always to have you along. And I ask you just to, to raise us in a quick prayer as the podcast ends and just pray for for our ministry and for for Graham's ministry as we continue to, to grow together. We'll see you again next week. God bless.